the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Welcome to another episode of the Youthscape podcast with me, Rachel Gardner, and my knight in shining all-stars, Martin Saunders. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to all of you, not just to Martin. Had you been working on that? I had, actually. In the few seconds before, while you and Amy were having a little chit-chat, I was just looking at what you're wearing, and I was like, oh, I'm going to... Oh, my knight in shining... Oh, my knight in shining all-stars! That works! Wow. Mm. It's, like, it's like I've got a new Twitter bio. <laughs> love it i just think i don't know about you think uh, listener I, I like to introduce people like do you do this martin with your emails like, if you're doing an introduction between two people i i never just go oh there's his jenny mm. i always just maybe it's my bridget jones moment but i always mm. feel I have to say there's this is jen and jenny is did a little he's wearing shoes it's but i i like find these kind of nuanced little things and oh, i do like you do that? To, yeah and i like to then like and then i say titans unite or something like i do this like little like send them off into the ether and I know you know yeah. people probably hate it but that's I feel why very you don't happy. get invited to any parties I don't get invited anywhere <laughs> I am a foghorn at the best of times wow I'd like to introduce people so this uh season of the Youthscape podcast is all about navigating the new normal in youth ministry and today it's taken us a while to get here but we are we are landing at perhaps one of the most obvious stops mm. uh, because we're going to be talking about how technology has interfaced dramatically with youth ministry over the last uh, few months and how it will now continue to do in the months and years to come. We've got some great guests to unpack that for us. Uh, you and I are limited in our <laughs> abilities in this area. <laughs> it's a well-known fact in Youthscape that I there's a special little box I have to go and sit in when, <laughs> when we talk anything technology. And people are only allowed to communicate to me face-to-face don't send me an email when you sit across the desk from me. Come and talk to me properly. I, I am very techno. You're challenged <laughs> with technology, aren't you? Very seriously challenged. It's like, it's like I've seen, I've observed it. It's like, because you're a very intelligent woman. Thank you. And yet I, I watch that, bits you, of your brain close down before my very eyes <laughs> as someone is explaining simple instructions for how to use a piece of technology. You're just like, I, I, I don't want to bring this on board. Care. I just don't care but I do care the thing is I do massively care and I do realize that I will soon be the dinosaur <laughs> as the world moves rapidly forward and I do try very very hard although as you well know because I've told you many times all the way through lockdown it was me that was continually kicking young people <laughs> off our zoom sessions because I was doing this and that and so the fact that young people at my church still talk to me is a complete miracle it's a miracle really. it is a miracle so I think you're just listener you are in incredibly safe hands if the thought of a podcast on technology makes you feel, what? You've kind of found the one black hole that I sink into. Friends, I am with you, desperately hanging on my fingernails, trying not to sink in. But it's going to be good. And those of you that are smugly going, oh, yeah, I'm all over this. I'm all over this. <laughs> then I don't want to hear from you. Don't respond. Just continue to be smug and show us all how to do it. 
Very I mean, simply. probably by the fact that this is a podcast, <laughs> people have some degree of technical ability just by the fact they've found it and they're on here. So Thank you, Lord we'd like to apologise. Yes, we'd like to apologise in advance for that slightly aggressive tone that I took. I apologise. Rachel is not today's expert. <laughs> it's amazing how often we find ourselves saying that now. Um, but our first guest today is the Reverend Dr. Pete Phillips, and he's the director of the Codec Research Centre for Digital Theology. He's a research fellow in digital theology uh, at Durham University which is very impressive isn't it I mean that's a proper that's a proper job a proper not like ours uh, and uh, and he really is an expert in this the, the reason why we've got him on is because uh, he has been involved in thinking about this stuff how the interface between church and technology for years and years and years and so I started off really as we started talking to him by asking him what it's felt like to have everybody arrive at the party he's been waiting at for years and suddenly think they've, they've invented something new. So here's Dr. Pete. I mean, first of all, I'm really, really happy everyone stepped online because that's the place where we should be. Um, and it's fantastic to be there. Um, so, so that's all really, really good. And I'm very, very pleased that the church has um, both stepped online, but also stayed online um, when lockdown has begun to be eased. Um, and it looks as though the church is going to keep there. Um, I think that I'm a bit wary about um, what that means for those who've been there a long time, people like the disabled communities and uh, people at Housebound and so on, who've, who've kind of set up their own niche ways of doing um, online church. Um, or indeed those, those churches which have used it for evangelistic purposes, um, who set up their way of doing church. And suddenly, you know, the masses come in and say, hey, this is a brand new world. Um, and I think, you know, it does kind of reflect some of our form of colonialization because there are people who are already in this space and those of us who are new to it need to treat that with, with more respect, I think, at times. Mm. Are there some things that you've seen happen in this time that are genuinely innovative and new and exciting? Or actually, um, has it been a case of picking up on things that people have been doing for quite a long time? Well, I think some of what, what's happening is very retrospective um, in the, you know, the arguments about communion uh, or the Eucharist, as it were, um, and the way in which the mainline denominations have prevented people, um, the laity especially, um, from taking communion apart from this kind of spiritual sense. Um, and, you know, you can't take the bread and wine. You've, you've just got to pray about it and God will give you the benefit of, the physic, of, of not having the physical. Um, that's very, very, very retrograde because the online church before lockdown, um, you know, was uh, there were plenty of people doing online communion and plenty of people exploring that. Um, yeah, there seems to be a kind of step back from that by the mainline churches during it. So that's negative. But but then there's been some really positive stuff. So we listened to um, Emma Stark and others in the prophetic movement who are moving in new ways of doing charismatic expression. The social outreach um, that we were able to do and the way in which we can merge online with offline social action um, and really start getting things moving. The whole campaigns, Black Lives Matter, really needs the online presence um, for that to kind of shift momentum in a way. And hopefully that will happen through climate, with climate change as well. Um, so, so lots of new things. And then the way we do church um, it, it has shown up a number of difficulties. How do we sing? 
um, together? How do we do community together? Um, but then Zoom coffee meetings came along and people were great to see one another, could wave at one another and so on. So, so lots of innovation there as well. Have you, Peter, seen sort of a distinction in this sort of mass market of church online? Have you seen distinctions between churches perceiving themselves online in terms of they do a service and that's what they mean by church online? And then other groups who say, actually, when we say church online, we mean it. there's a, commu- a deep community aspect. And I guess that's what we're learning from groups that have been doing this for a long time. Like, is there, when people say church online, do we all mean the same thing? Well, I think that's a really good thing because, uh, but I don't think when we say church offline, we mean the same thing as either because that that same performance and community is there as well, isn't it? Mm. Because some traditions feel that church is a performance of something, a performance of the gospel, a performance of the gospel story of the, the holy mysteries, as it were. So mass or a charismatic service can be a kind of performance related thing that that is about moving us towards God and allowing us to experience God in our in our daily lives. Um, but at the same time, we want church to be community, community, community. Um, and so some people will kind of move the whole agenda around that sense of, you know, um, let's let's ensure we see one another let's ensure that we communicate with one another let's have lots of people at the front um and i think that's part of the the mixture of what church is sometimes it's theater sometimes it's a coffee shop um and and we mustn't lose either perspective of that because even the highest of churches also want the coffee shop community um and it's getting the balance right in the youth ministry community we many of us moved very quickly to uh, an online space that we've maybe never explored before and that's been quite in the in the first few months was really quite exciting because we saw quite a lot of young people engaging through that what's your sense of um what this has meant for the church and young people is is this a a great opportunity or or are we going to lose them because they're already screened out in all these other different ways um, I think that my experience of doing the webinars that I've been doing with with a few people about um, youth work and so on, I'm not a youth worker, so um, that is that there's been a huge difference in the responses. Uh, one youth worker that I um, was speaking to was saying they've lost all of the people apart from the very core group at the very centre of the work they were doing. And they've lost contact with these people because they can no longer go into schools and make contact and so on. Um, another gr- another uh, group of youth workers, what have you said, that they've actually found that their 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 reach has multiplied. Um, that they have loads more people from the fringes who are engaging in what they're doing. And I don't think it's a criticism of either group, um, but I think it is interesting that that, that to some extent the church has invaded online space, which is young people's space predominantly in the past mm. um and and therefore rather than youth work being something that they can go to in a kind of different kind of context it's something that comes to them um and i think that can be quite difficult for for young people to kind of um cope with um how do they do with this so so i think really youth work has to kind of differentiate into different it has to work out what it wants to do um for young people with young people uh, and how that how best to support that and on what platform to support it 
Thank you, Peter. I think um, I'm just remembering back now, sort of week four or five into lockdown, when I was beginning to pick up a sort of a general mantra online that, that the church is suddenly more visible than ever before. And churches were saying they've had 75% more attendance you know, and across the board, big churches and small churches. And at the same time, myself as a youth worker and the youth workers I was speaking to were saying, actually, the drop off has come really quick. So those young people that are not, that are our fringe young people have dropped off straight away I just want to ask you as someone that's been sort of doing some research in this area it has that been what's happened like what is the evidence around increased interest in church on online and is that an, an accurate picture because I think lots of youth workers are carrying this burden of adult church seems to have flown youth ministry has either remained constant or gone down you know struggled when, when whereas the adults seem to be doing fine like is that what you've been picking up yeah it's really it's really interesting I don't, I don't think there's a one one pattern fits all I think different things are going to happen in different areas um depends upon the young people and 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 their needs and what have you uh, certainly um church generally seems to have flourished um in uh, and actually um but 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 first of all there was a 30 percent drop off of existing people um so those who engaged in in um offline church 30 percent of them a third of them didn't come to online church um and i think that might even be bigger than that figure um but then we've seen this massive increase in online online church attendance that has kind of solidified during lockdown. Um, so our figures show, um, you know, 26, 28, 29% of people attending online church regularly uh, during the summer, during uh, June, July and August. Um, so, so you wouldn't have thought that, that as churches began to open, more people went online. Um, and, you know, in London, it's half the population are engaged in online worship. Um, now, now, what do we do about young people? Because we've been, we're able to, this is a Savanta Comrades poll that we're, we're doing a rolling poll. Um, you know, is it 40, 49% of um, 25 to 34-year-olds uh, 20, 45% of 18 to 24 year olds are praying regularly online. Um, 45%, 48% are worshipping regularly online. Now, now, those figures are completely and utterly astounding. Mm. I don't believe, I don't, I can't really believe them. Mm. Yep. Um, th- this isn't people going to multiple services. These are young people themselves saying we're engaging in online worship. Um, now, now, is that aspirational? Is it that they want to? They feel they ought to say this? Um, or are those real figures? Because, you know, as we go around young people, youth workers and so on, they're kind of a bit more res- res- re- reticent about that. And a YouGov poll came out that was more, very, very much lower numbers than this. Um, but, but, but all the other polls that we're doing and all the other micro-research projects we're doing do show that there is actually a lot of interest in onlineism um, and online religion um, across different faiths and different communities. I guess a very natural way that we would classically respond to this would be to think, great, once this is all over, <laughs> how do we now translate those online devotees into physical worshippers? Do you think that actually that's the wrong question? Do you think actually it's a mistake to think like that and we should now be thinking much more about the digital space as a legitimate place for people to encounter God? Yes, I think that um, 
let's just take this away from youth at the moment because I think youth are different because they are digital natives. Um, let's go back to, to to everybody else, you know, the old timers and what have you. Um, I think that hybrid church is the model for the future where we seek to merge um, online and offline together into the one community. It's no good saying that if somebody can't come into a physical space because they're housebound, because they're disabled, because they're vulnerable, because they're shielding, that they are not part of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. We need to work out a way where the body of Christ is one, whether it's online or it's offline. Um, and that's going to cause technological issues for for a while until we get the tech, tech sorted out and everything. But hybrid church is the model of the future, I think. Um, and and, and that, that, that offers us huge potential for evangelism in that, as people have said, we've offered a sofa at the back, behind the back pew. Yeah, People can come and sit on that sofa and watch what happens in their pyjamas, however they want, eating their breakfast, you know, eating a bacon sandwich or whatever they want to do on a Sunday morning, um, and they can share worship. Or they can do it on Saturday night or Friday afternoon or whenever they want to. Church becomes an open thing rather than it being something that happens behind closed doors in strange pointy buildings. Mm-hmm. Now, with young people, I think that the, the big issue, I think, is c- connection. Um and, and how do you redo, reconnect with people in such a way that they feel that this is important? One of the recent researches coming out of America from, I think it's um, Pew Sutrabana, was saying that young people mimic their parents in going to church. And yet when you go below that mimicking, they don't really hold the the views that their parents have. It's a much freer, much open kind of understanding of spirituality and engagement. Uh, and, you know, when we go back to that fantastic chart, you know, as result from Savannah Comrez, online faith-related activities include prayer, meditation, worship, reflection on nature, online choirs and online yoga. People are open up to lots of different kinds of spiritual activity. Young people are, and older people as well. And the question will be is how do we connect into that kind of a lifestyle and make Christ relevant um, to that kind of, that, that group of people, that, that feeling around people, people who want ritual, who want meditation, who want to s- celebrate nature, um, and yet at the same time feel some form of a call to a spiritual life. And I'm not too sure that that necessarily is through ch- church models. Um, I think we go back to the roots of um, youth engagement being about engagement and connection. So our next guest on uh, this edition of the Youthscape podcast is Youthscape's Head of Theology, Phoebe Hill. Dr. Phoebe Hill. Why, thank you. Yes. <laughs> do you get annoyed when people don't do the doctor bit? No, I think it's awkward to do the doctor bit, but thank you for making it awkward so early on. <laughs> oh, that's, um, that's how I intend to continue. Yes, yes, I know. I know you, Mark. You, um, you are uh, our head of theology. You're f- our first ever head of theology. What, what's, yeah. your, what's your job? What do you do? Well, that is a great question. Um, and I think I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Um, I guess at Youthscape, we have a few different people who wave the flag for a few different things. So we have mental health specialists, we have um, people who have expertise in schools work, all that kind of thing. And I think there was a growing sense that actually we need to be asking theological questions in all areas of our work at Youthscape. 
And so although my remit is doing theological research, I'm also trying to ask those theological questions um, across everything that we do. So I guess that's how I would see my role mm. at Youthscape. So you're sort of theological flag waver, but not in a spring harvest sense. <laughs> yeah, also in a spring harvest sense in my personal time. But, you know, yes, <laughs> <laughs> metaphorically at Youthscape. Yeah. Have you ever done liturgical interpretive dance? Um, I mean, I think if I said no, it would be disingenuous. Wow. But um, whether you could call it dance or sort of movement, I'm not sure. And what is liturgical dance? I mean, do you have to have liturgy involved to make it that? I don't know. It's just what it's all, I've always heard people call that. I never really know what they mean. Yeah, you know? I, do, I have aspirations of grandeur when it comes to dancing in worship, but finding the appropriate space for that is a challenge. Because I'm just thinking your longtime colleague and collaborator at Youthscape, Dr. Lucy Shuka, mm -hmm. uh, the other doctor, she yeah. uh, also has a long history of interpretive Christian dance. Well, I know. I think we have something special beginning mm. here at Youthscape. And I think part of my role as head of theology might at some point involve leading Youthscape into liturgical dance. But, you know, we'll see. This is this is the stuff that I think should be in the highlights clip and <laughs> and producer Amy hears it and cuts it. Yeah. So we'll see which way she she goes. So so we so we've known each other a long time. So you you um you were of course um editor of what was Youthwork magazine I think when you were there. Yeah. Um and then so so you've been involved in youth ministry for for a long time but also You've you've had quite a lot of involvement with just direct work with young people. You just want to talk a little bit about the, the youth work you've done over the last probably, I don't know, seven, eight years? Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so I've been a volunteer youth worker now probably for 10 years alongside various different youth work organisation roles. Um, I've typically done small church youth ministry. So it's been with a group of five to 10 young people. Um, it's been quite humble. Uh, and humbling. <laughs> it's been glorious and awful in equal measure, um, but I continue to uh, enjoy just being with young people, I think, um, and feel a strong sense of responsibility to do something. It's not always majestic, it doesn't always look or feel great, but um, I try to offer something um, in the kind of small churches that I'm part of or have been part and of. Is that important, do you think, if you're gonna if you're gonna comment more broadly on youth ministry and be involved in a youth ministry organizational role like this and mm -hmm. and think theologically about youth ministry? Is it kind of essential for you that you're still connected with real young people? Yeah, I think so. Um because there's nothing like being with young people to really know what youth ministry is. Um, I don't know how you would be able to know what youth ministry is unless you are with young people. And so much has changed in 10 years. So what youth work was 10 years ago is very, very different in many ways to what it is, I mean, particularly right now. So I can't live on a historic familiarity with what it was to be with young people 10 years ago because the world has changed so um, mm. I do think it's important to continue um, working with young people face to face and I think you know a lot of my research uh, my PhD research particularly was about the kind of positive disruption of young people uh, in our lives in, to our ministries to our theological categories 
Um, and so if we're not actually seeing young people face to face, then we're not going to encounter that positive disruption to um, our youth ministry, basically, and, and the way that we think about youth ministry. So, yeah, I do think it's important. So on this episode of the Youthscape podcast, we are um, thinking a bit about online youth work and obviously reflecting a bit on the last sort of few months and how many people have been forced to innovate with um, online youth work, Um, but also looking ahead at how that might now become part of our strategy and our practice going forward. I wonder whether you would reflect on that from a theological perspective, what you think we might lose by moving our work online, and also if there's anything that we might gain through it. Mm. Great question. Yeah, and I think um, I've uh, I've written about this before, but that I, I'm I am a bit wary of sort of theologizing too soon. Um, you know, we are still in the midst of a highly traumatic event, uh, something we've never experienced and may never experience again. Um, so it is possibly too soon to to be theologizing, but there are definitely um, positives I can see and definitely negatives. Uh, that I can see too. Um, I think for including lots of different types of young people, including those who are chronically ill, including those who can't get to church, you know, there are huge positives of that. We saw last term in our little youth ministry group, um, more people engaging more regularly than they would have done had it been a normal summer term uh, and we were doing our normal provision. Uh, We moved from an every other uh, week Sunday thing to an every Thursday night thing and we actually had consistent engagement so in terms of um, potential for people engaging and continuing to engage I think there are positives um, I definitely think there are things that are lost that cannot be replicated I've been pondering um, Andrew Root's book Revisiting Relational Youth Ministry um, which is a classic he wrote it you know over 10 years ago now Um, And many listeners, I'm sure, will be familiar with it. But um, he draws on Bonhoeffer's theology to talk about the space between us and and how um, Christ is present in in the midst of a relationship and in between two people, in between the youth worker and the young person when they meet. And I wonder, can God be present in between in a digital sense? And I don't know. whether there is something essentially incarnational about the in-between, that it has to be an embodied face-to-face between and in the midst of which God is present. And I don't know what Andrew would say about that. I'd be kind of interested to know at some point. But I I think I'm cautious of technology and the way that it mediates presence between us. And I don't think it can replicate the embodied face-to-face in terms of the way that God is tangibly and incarnationally present in the midst of the world so in kind of from your perspective helpful tool but not a substitute not a substitute and I think changes the way that we relate to each other it it is a new kind of mediation between us and I think I'm uh, suspicious and cautious of that I'm there are lots of voices out there that would say Technology is great. We should absolutely embrace it. It's, you know, it's it's the, it's an extension of offline, online. There's no such thing as the difference between the two. Um, I think I 
because my theology or my theological position is very much based on a Christ who became tangibly present and embodied, um, I think the role of the body is very significant in how we relate to each other. And I think that that will never be replicated in an online space. There's, there's also something about um, young people having the opportunity, the gift of time offline. And one of the great things about church and youth group is it's, it's that rare moment in a young person's life where they maybe put their phone away or they're not looking at a screen at the moment, you know, mm -hmm. especially, especially when education is happening through a screen. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's something profoundly helpful that we shouldn't lose about, about encouraging young people, inviting young people into the liberating space of churches and groups of belonging that are offline when so much of their life is built online. But then sometimes I worry I'm a Luddite, Phoebe. Well, I, well, I think I am too. And I think that that, is, <laughs> that shapes everything, I, the, the way that I see the world and the way that I see technology. Um, and I'm naturally a bit anti-technology. But I, I think another thing that I think I've, um, I've written a bit about and I wrote a blog about recently for Youthscape is um, the challenge that comes with the lack of opportunities to try out faith. So this sense, I've, um, I would talk, describe something called performativity. So this idea that we perform faith, we, we, um, as we do something, our belief sort of follows. Um, and the problem of moving to online is that it's much more of a one directional thing. So we are watching people talking at us or we're watching people singing and maybe participating, but probably not. Um, and there's not that sense of um, shared experience of participatory involvement in youth ministry and churches. And, you know, many young people out there will not have prayed out loud or sung a worship song or talked to anyone about their faith for a very long time. And I think we're already seeing in our youth group, you know, one young guy is is starting to say, well, I don't know if I'm going to come to church, even when it does start up, because I just don't know if I believe anymore. Mm. And it's in some ways my response is, well, of course you don't believe, <laughs> you know, because what is belief? What does it mean to believe something? Is belief this sort of inherent um, kind of concrete thing that we carry around with us? Or is it actually that it, you know, it's as we pray out loud that we think, yeah, no, I do believe that. Or as yes. we sing a song that we are uh, saying God is great, that we're like, yes, maybe God is great. Yes. Um, and it's a bit like that. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, preach it till you believe it and there is that sense of like yes we couldn't be you know um dishonest about what we believe but actually that it's in the doing that we realize what we believe and if there yeah. are opportunities for that doing and no kind of you know young people haven't got established rhythms of prayer or they haven't got this kind of um personal private life that we maybe might be able to rely on in these times you know what is it that what are the opportunities for them to actually test out their belief and they may come like the young guy in my group to the point of saying well I don't know if I actually believe yeah that's really interesting isn't it and and we I think we all inherently know there's some there's some definite truth in that Spurgeon quote preached mm. I mean it re reminds me a little bit of uh, a quote from Kim Kardashian fake <laughs> it until you make it 
Uh, although I'm not sure if that was Kim Kardashian. It sounds like the sort of thing that she would say. Uh, but, um, but but yeah, I think there is something about like we remove the opportunity to perform faith and theology, mm. not perform in a sense of theatrically, but in terms of like going through the actual physical processes of faith. Mm. Um, because faith was never meant to just be an intellectual pursuit. It was also profoundly like hands and feet all the time. So, wow, that's really, that's really interesting, I think. Um, one more thing I want to ask you about before you go, mm-hmm. uh, and that is your, um, just to, to delve a little bit in, invasively into your personal life, if that's sure. right, <laughs> which is, we have agreed we'll talk about this, but you, um, you obviously have, um, have experienced lockdown um, w- along with the rest of us, but also you'd kind of had some events in your personal life that had prepared you in some ways for that. And I wonder whether you talk a little bit about, just explain that maybe, but also talk about what you learned about how to deal with these enforced periods of um, being apart from people. Mm, yeah, so to fill people in, um, for the last eight years or so, I've been um, struggling along with ME or chronic fatigue syndrome, which is a chronic mm-hmm. illness um, and it affects people in lots of different ways, but um, it's a persistent kind of fatigue, flu-like symptoms, myriad different things. Um, and I've had periods where it's been better and periods where it's been worse. And this last year has been the worst that I've ever experienced it. After I finished my PhD and handed that in, I just experienced a huge backlash health-wise and was pretty much bed-bound for a few months and then definitely house-bound for a while. Um, so in lots of ways, I had a kind of pre-lockdown, lockdown experience. My life was already reduced to the bare bones and trying to do bits of work where I could, trying to kind of not really doing much social, much socialising at all. Um, so I think in some ways I was prepared, or at least my life didn't look very different when we then went into lockdown. And there were some positives of lockdown for me in terms of um, being able to manage health and sort of the the relinquishment of guilt about not doing all these extra things or not being able to make it to church, whatever it might be. Mm. Um, but it's not something I would have wished on everybody. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's an experience that um, is one that I would want to share with other people. Um, but I know that we've all tasted something of what it is to be cut off from other people. Mm. Um, yeah, I think there are there are definitely... I've definitely found huge solace in the comment by Jesus to um, Mary and Martha when Martha's been rushing around and Mary's been sitting at the feet of Jesus um, and just that sense of there being the one important thing uh, being to sit at the feet of Jesus and wherever you find yourself health-wise, you are able to do that and actually... Mm you can't do the Martha thing. You can't rush around. You can't um, help people. You can't be the answer to people's problems. You can't um, use your gifts. You can't kind of be significant at all. But what you can do is the most important thing, actually, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I think um, that was a huge comfort when there wasn't much else um, for me, definitely. Wow. And, and, what has that can I ask you what that's done to your sort of inner spiritual life having to you know essentially 
um, your life became quite small, but you were focusing very much on that relationship. So what did that do? Did you, did you take on some new spiritual disciplines? Did you find yourself just like in silence, resting in God's presence? Like what did you, how did that actually manifest itself? Yeah. I think um, you have, you imagine how you would like to be in these moments and that this idea of sort of being with God alone will be a super spiritual experience. But actually, when you're so ill, <laughs> you don't have energy to be super spiritual. So I didn't have energy to pray. I didn't have energy to be this kind of prayer warrior for my bed. Because actually, again, that's quite a sort of ableist mentality of illness it's this sense that even in my illness I will still do x y and z and mm. I will be important mm. because you know even if I can't be important in a kind of practical sense I will be a prayer warrior but um so it was almost the deconstruction of all of these ideas all of these disciplines all of these things that I had constructed as my spiritual life it was almost like I had to let go of even all of those and say I can't even do the things that would make me a super spiritual person. Mm. All I can do is be here with you, God. Um, so for me, as someone who's always been quite achievement oriented, I think it has been the undoing of a lot of things. Some, some good things, some not so good things. Um, and it's, I've been thinking lots about the kind of builders who build their house on the sand and the rock and, um, even some of the good things that I'd built over the years turned out to be built on sand, you know, when push comes to shove and actually when your life is whittled down to something very little, you realize that there's not a whole lot that's built on the rock. Um, hmm. But actually if that's all that remains, there's still a temp there's still a structure there. <laughs> it's just not very big compared to hmm. what you thought it was. Um, so I think it has been, there has been a lot of undoing, um, and I think that sense of um, the deepest spiritual moments don't necessarily feel very spiritual. I think that's what I would say as well. Um, I'm sure it has been a profoundly important spiritual experience, but not in the way that I expected. It felt like an undoing and it mm. felt like a darkness. But I, I think um, I'm confident that it was a spiritual experience, even though it felt like darkness, if that makes sense. I think that's incredibly helpful and challenging to our our natural instincts to replace one system of achievement and mm -hmm. busyness with another. So you, you go, okay, I'm locked down. You know, now I've got to achieve all these other things, but in a much more contained, small space and and kind mm -hmm. of life. And, and actually, deconstructing that is painful and hard. But I imagine you've come out of the, the other end of that actually in a much healthier place spiritually well I hope so <laughs> I think it's um with any kind of undoing you do look around and think okay what's actually left um or <laughs> how do I rebuild on the rock how do I not just reconstruct these kind of temporary structures that will fall down again at some point how do I um make sure that my spiritual life is rooted in the right things and isn't about achievement or or kind of being somebody in a spiritual sense um yeah, I, I don't have all the answers to that yet. But I'm... Can, can I give you the answer? Yes. Liturgical dance. <laughs> That's it. You've solved all my problems, Mark. Thank you.
Great interview, Martin. You were all right. I mean, but Phoebe... It's always the case. It's always the case. I could listen to her forever. Yes. In fact, you know, like when you have like Zoom. So we, I joined the chapel, the Youthscape Monday morning chapel via Zoom. Yes. I'm in Preston. Yes. And I'm always like, please put me with Amy and Phoebe. Amy and Phoebe. And it's like the lottery when you're put into the breakout group. And I'm like, fingers crossed, Phoebe and Amy. And I am. And I just, I just bask in the wonder of Did you just brain. throw Amy's name in there because she's sitting two metres away? probably no amy i love you <laughs> and she's just giving me a heart sign because i'm her favorite presenter anyway martin <laughs> we off air we suddenly got super excited about wanting to talk about a couple of things just as we yes. end as we end this episode yes we're definitely ending we're definitely ending we're coming to land from a very far distance <laughs> yes. buckle up people there's still time for more nuts go for it martin <laughs> wow I, I don't know. I don't know how to come back from no that. No one's flying anymore, and no one's definitely eating nuts. On Not planes. allowed nuts on so planes just, anymore. That is so just to explain the joke for anyone who's so twenty seventeen. Yeah, is. sorry. <laughs> um, so one thing we did want to talk about quickly is this amazing Netflix documentary, which I know you and I both ah! had a lot of thoughts about. Exploded, and uh, and it became so. It's called the social dilemma. It became the uh, the biggest. Netflix thing, so mm. TV program or film in the world for for a good couple of weeks in like every country. Mm. Um, and it was certainly top 10 for a few weeks. Um, and I think probably still lots of people are catching up with it. And it's essentially a bunch of people who uh, worked in the tech industry, particularly in the sort of Silicon Valley, in inverted commas, area, and were involved in the genesis of things like Facebook and Instagram and the gigantic growth of, of Google. And these are people all sounding the alarm saying, mm. do you know what's going on in there? Do you know what we've been working on? And they're still young and they're talking about, they're the ones that invented like the like button. Like yeah. that, that's what I found so difficult about it is that they, they're the ones that have created the features. Yeah. And I think, I think it's naive humanism. I mean, one guy's like, I thought everybody would like use it to like, to like the world, to love the world. Yeah. And you're like, you know, what were you smoking at the time that you thought that the, the mass population would go, I, I can just like nice photos. Yeah, no, I think, I'm going to use it. The rules are different in California for that sort of thing. Oh so possibly. So, shocking, um, shocking. so yes, this, this documentary is really interesting. That's even the way they've made it, because mm. what they do is they show you uh, these interviews with all these guys talking heads in the sort of Channel 4 documentary Top 100 style. But also you then have this drama that's playing out with the, this family and their devices and particularly this uh, these young people mm. and how they're using their devices. And then there's this extra slightly sci-fi layer to it where you're inside the phone. Oh gosh, it's forgotten about that. Yeah, and you sort of see how the phone is yes, trying to control young people. Yes. And, uh, and so the algorithms are played by the same actor three al- yeah. playing three different characters. And uh, so it's a fascinating kind of piece of filmmaking. But also, like, deep questions mm. about what on earth these things are doing to us mm. and to our young people. And, of mm. course, we've all had that frustration of sitting giving a youth talk and everyone's got their phones out. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly have. I'm sure yeah. you've held everybody's attention. <laughs> 10,000 kids in a field. I mean, I'm there just checking my Twitter feed, as yes, we all you, know. <laughs> you often actually do an update during a talk. <laughs> just do a preach. Perhaps do the, uh, the call to become a Christian. Get ready. Yeah. No, but... I, but also it, it's that, but also then it pulls back like the damage to democracy. And then towards the end of the, the program, 
they, they, they drop these killer things in like, well, that's the end of democracy because of the way that yeah. small countries have been like the algorithm has, uh, has grown forth there. So I think, I feel like as in ancient times, wisdom was personified as this glorious, generous uh, queen that I've talked about on podcasts before. Like, I feel like that film has given us the algorithm, has personified, yeah. ironically, the algorithm, which is not a person, it's a bot. But I, it just feels like there's this new menace that we're aware of. Yeah. So I'm trying not to sound too reactionary, but it is shocking. It yeah, is shocking. it is. And um, I've been reading a really interesting book recently. The Bible. I, I've been reading that, but I've got an, a book that I would really recommend to Youthscape podcast listeners. And it's called The Shallows by Nicholas Carr. Uh, it's not a massively long book, but it's a book about uh, neuroscience and the internet. And it's essentially about how using the internet is changing the way we think and the way our brains work. And that, if you thought the the social dilemma was terrifying, read The Shallows. And it's literally about how in the last sort of particular last 10 to 15 years, social media and the internet and the way that we interact with them is rewiring our brains mm. to make us uh, not nowhere near as intelligent, terrible at remembering things, uh, not prone to learning. It's it's messing with our heads. Mm. And so the, there's sort of all these warning shots going up in culture at the moment about what this technology is doing to us and particularly mm-hmm. to digital natives yeah. whose brains were very plastic when yeah. they started using these things because it was like they used them from age two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, what is what is all this stuff really doing? What's the long-term kind of harvest of all yes. of this going to be and and i think i i did finish watching the program i did actually get on my knees because i was heartbroken and i did get like quite serious about repenting of my <laughs> the way i use uh, social media you're gonna sometimes. delete instagram again <laughs> i'm not gonna delete it again i've already done that worthy self i just can only pull that out of the bag once really if i delete it i can't tell anyone <laughs> um but i just thought it's it's the dead it's the deadening of life mm. and there's a there's the two gra- incredible scenes one scene where this beautiful teenage girl um her ears protrude a little bit there's some comments on social media and she stands in front of the mirror tears falling down her face with her hands over her ears pushing them in and your, your heart breaks you're like that's where this lands also the young guy who likes the girl and uh but then he gets involved in his phone and you suddenly see this deadening of intimacy like mm. she, the person that you really like is right there yeah. But because you're on your phone, you don't see that. And I, and I just felt like this just great wave of grief, actually, like the deadening of culture. So, yes, it's really important to watch. I don't watch don't watch it at night. Watch it in the morning when you're about to start your day because you'll want to do some stuff as a result of it. You will. Now, can I give you some good news? First of all, The Social Dilemma gives you a bunch of practical things you could do at the end. Watch the end credits. It's the best bit of the whole film mm. because you get to see five or six ideas straight from the horse's mouths. Like delete Netflix. Is that one of them? <laughs> it's definitely not delete Netflix. <laughs> they don't mention Netflix. Um, but they do say, you know, there's some there's some steps you can take, turning off notifications, taking the apps off your phone. Mm-hmm. I've done that, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but still so using them on your, on, your, on your laptop. Oh. Um, so, you know, that restricts... There's a, a load of ideas. Anyway, the other piece of good news is from this book that I just mentioned, The Shallows, which is about brain plasticity. Now, brain plasticity was a major focus of the National Youth Ministry Weekend last time we could hold it, which was a bit weird. It kept coming up. I don't know if you mm. noticed that. About three of the main session speakers mentioned it. And brain plasticity is very interesting. It basically is the phenomenon of how quickly your brain can rewire itself. So, Hallelujah, come on. So in a detour, which Amy will almost certainly edit out, 
Um, the interesting thing is that if some different bits of your brain correspond to um, uh, different parts of your body and different senses. So there is a bit of your brain which is all about the eyes and sight. And there's a bit of your brain which is a load of uh, neurons that Professor are all dedicated to... See, I've read, I've read a book. I should go on Sky News and be an expert. <laughs> um, but, um, y- you know, basically there's a bit about of your brain that's all about ears and hearing. Now, if you lose a sense, if you're somebody that has the, the uh, is able to see and then goes blind, loses their sight, that area of your brain doesn't go dark your brain reallocates that bit, those those neurons, that bit of your brain gets reallocated to other things, which is why often people who've lost one sense have an enhanced other sense because your brain uses those things. Now, that's an illustration of how quickly your brain can, Mm. even in later life, rewire itself. Make new connections. Make new connections. And so you can form these new neural pathways, even into your 80s and 90s. So... If you do take steps now to start to unhitch yourself a little bit from the internet mm-hmm. and social media, your brain will start to recover itself and you'll be able to improve things like memory and emotion and all sorts of other stuff that can be deadened by yes. internet and social media. So yes. it's not a lost cause. It's not a one-way street. Delete the apps. And also, we need to say to ourselves, we do not miss out if we are not on social media as much. Oh my goodness. We don't lose that. We don't lose influence. We don't lose uh, understanding of the culture. And I think that's that's the big thing, isn't it? Because actually most of us activists, we want to be on social media because we don't just want our voice heard, although that is a massive part of it. Let's be honest about that. But we do want to stay connected. We want to be part of conversations. We are, we are naturally, as youth folk, quite relational, quite connected. And so I do think there is that lurking in the back of our brain if i if i come off everything will i will i just literally be in a shed massive in the middle of yeah it's a genuine fear isn't it so um you can read a blog about the social dilemma on the youthscape website Mm -hmm. uh which i have written and it's called something i can't remember but it definitely has the word the social dilemma in the title it's okay uh also there's some other brilliant new blogs on uh, the Youthscape website. There's actually a pretty steady stream of great writing appearing recently. And, uh, and so a great piece by Phoebe, yes. uh, for instance, which you should definitely read. Definitely. It's much better than mine. No, your, your piece is excellent. But I love what she talks about, about the the online youth ministry is so important, but what have we lost in, in yes. that? And I think that's really cool what she talks so about. So read that. And and the website, full stop, is great. Yeah. Can we just say that it's a, it's a fairly new one? It is. We're quite proud Beautiful. of it. Beautiful. It is it's beautiful. There's, there's quite a few pictures of us on it. <laughs> laughing. Of, of, have you noticed, people? It's, it's Martin talking and me laughing. Well, well, there we go. I mean, this that may all. just be a fair representation of now, life. Now, I do think the nuts have been eaten. The plane is definitely <laughs> circling. The pilot is like, she's doing this side, like, stop talking. So we are going to stop. But we have loved being with you and, uh, and just raising some really interesting questions about stuff that we are wrestling with. And we know you are too. And it's great to be able to bring all this stuff together and keep the conversation going. So God bless you today. Mm-hmm.